names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 57, mile marker 57. I check in with Teresa and Gumby. <laughs> and we are actually um, staying at a motel for various reasons, um, which we'll get into later. But we are in the occupied lands of the, um, let's see. Lee County Cave Isopod, the four-inch-long bog turtle, the Shenandoah salamander, and the Virginia-fringed mountain snail, among others. Um, We're also in the occupied lands of the Cherokee and a very unique tribe that I had never heard of called the Soyaha, I think. Um, if you look up uchiyuchi.org, you can find out a lot about these people. They're called children of the sun. And uh, Yuchi is their word that means a people of significance. They were here before a lot of the other tribes that we know and may be the oldest recognized permanent residents of the southeastern United States. Wow. And I never heard of them. Um, but yes, we are in the occupied lands, um, basically the the southwesternmost corner of Virginia, where it meets Tennessee. And uh, we are in an, a Motel 6 because, well, my birthday's tomorrow. And uh, sometimes we treat ourselves by uh, kind of being able to be in a place where we're not going to get run off. Um, you know, we've said before, we're escaping society. It's uh, it's a, a delicate balance of, like, enjoying it, but also recognizing what it represents. Um, but one of the main reasons why we decided to come to this particular location is because it was the nearest Motel 6 that um, we wanted to stay with our dog, Sherlock. He's having a little bit of a challenge right now, and... Um, yeah, this uh, this whole life thing is complicated, Gumby. <laughs> we are um, we're trying to help our dog out, part of our tribe, our family, um, and recognizing that you know it's not always about not spending money. Um, it's not always about you know just finding the free way to do things, but it is about like what we believe in. And what we feel could be beneficial. So I contacted a vet yesterday and kind of spoke with him over uh, the computer. And we decided that uh, Sherlock was doing pretty good and we'd um, wait and see and and try to doctor him uh, using some remedies that our friends have told us about. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully he'll, he'll get better. Gumby, you want to say anything about that? Yeah, for our listeners, um, Sherlock, you know, you, you've if you've listened to our episodes, you've heard him bark now and then. Mm-hmm. 
But of course, he's not much of a conversationalist, so you might kind of miss how much of a part of our tribe he is. Um, but he's, you know, a full one-third of our tribe. He is like the heart and soul of our tribe. So, you know, I've talked about like a good day in the van is a really good day and a bad day is a really bad day. Mm. Um, the other day we were up on the Blue Ridge Parkway and it started raining and uh, Sherlock wasn't feeling well. And then in the middle of the night, he uh, signaled he had to use the bathroom. So I just kind of opened the door and let him go. And he comes back when he's ready. But he's gone for a long time. And when we called him back, he could barely use any of his legs. I mean, we both uh, ended up crying. You know, we just he looked like he was at death's door. I thought that was it. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of sitting in this van. I can't even make a little pretty bed for him to like rest in and just to see what's going to happen next, just in this van. And, uh, that was a bad day. Um, just feeling absolutely powerless, you know, feeling like nothing's cooperating. I've got control over nothing. I've got no control over Sherlock's health. I've got no control over, the weather, just nothing. So we decided to just come down off the mountain and start looking into like what our options are. Basically, mostly to give us something to do, something to focus on other than just sitting in this depressing van and shedding tears. Um, but yeah, that, that exploration led to, as Teresa said, this motel room. And uh, yeah, Sherlock's not out of the woods yet. I mean, he's still struggling, but uh, every day he seems a little better and better. So we're hoping to to get him there. Um, but yeah, Sherlock, I wish, uh, wish there was some way to convey to people, you know, so they could see what kind of person he is. He's not just, you know, you got those little, little shitty little dogs that look like kind of wind up toys, you know, and I'm not saying I want any dog to die, but those kind of dogs, I kind of feel like when, when they die, you know, it's sort of like you grieve for a little bit and you just maybe get another one. I mean, they don't, a lot of them don't have a lot of personality. And I'm not saying all of them. I've had little shitty dogs myself that did have a lot of personality. <laughs> um, but Sherlock is a full-blown member of our tribe. He's uh, he's not that kind of dog. So, yeah. Um, and since we're checking in, one of the things I wanted to check in about was uh, we got up to the mountains to escape the heat. We were in uh, Durham. Um, used to be a native village called Adshashir, which we hope to talk about later. But we came up here, and so we're up here, you know, it's cooler, and we're like, so what do we do now, you know? Like, what, what's something we can do? Because that's often a question that haunts me, um, living out of a van, is what do I do? The podcast is one of the answers, you know? That gives us something every week to kind of think about, prepare for, a little focus to uh, study, things we want to learn about. And then on Friday, which is when we record, we, uh, you know, we do the podcast. So we decided another project we could do this summer, since it seems like the Blue Ridge Parkway is really a pivotal thing for the summer for us to escape the heat. And I imagine I'll be coming up here to the North Carolina mountains, maybe for the rest of my life in the summer. Let's really start documenting the Blue Ridge Parkway. So, uh, yeah, we, Teresa's kind of the, the journaler. You know, we got a, a notebook that my mom gave us. And uh, I'm the driver, and we're trying to kind of go through it really slowly, like with a fine-tooth comb. And we write down things in this journal, like where all the water spots are that we find. And these are not marked on most maps. Some of them are tiny little creeks that are good for just kind of doing a bird bath or maybe uh, gathering water to drink. Others are beautiful rivers, and some of them are really private that you can swim in. Um, we take note of where we can sleep, you know, and not get messed with and other places that we can go even further back in the woods, like these dirt roads that are unmarked. You can't even see a, a road name. 
and set up the van for, you know, full-blown car camping. You know, we got our little front porch, we call it, that we set up to the side of the van and um, have a campfire. And we're also taking note of the plants we find, you know, the plants that have different gifts to offer us. But that's been a really interesting thing. Um, and I'd say we're kind of in the middle of that now that we're taking this detour to, to hopefully give Sherlock a chance to recover and, uh, as Teresa said, celebrate her birthday. Happy birthday, Teresa. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, that's probably what I imagine we're going to be going back to when uh, things maybe settle down a little bit. Yeah, Gumby said that we might be making uh, we might be making the first of its kind or at least the, the maybe only one in existence of the uh, hobo guide to the Blue Ridge Parkway. And we are not sharing it with anybody unless we die and pass it on to somebody because <laughs> sure as shit, when we find these good spots... We do not want to get there and suddenly find a whole bunch of people there because some of our spots, it's already happened. Yeah. Um, I We don't have a way to really listen to the news all the time. We turn on the van and listen to the news on usually NPR because that's like the news radio that we can get. Um, but it seemed like, what was it, last weekend? They must have made an announcement that – and I found out they did that was like, oh, the bathrooms are open. So then the floodgates of people started coming up there and they were not socially distanced. And that's, you know, all well and good. We're not trying to tell people how to live, but damn, it was crowded. I mean, it was like car, car, car coming down the Blue Ridge Parkway. Like, <laughs> it sounded like a crow. Car, car, car. car. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like Gumby was saying, when we find these little gems, we don't want to say like, hey guys, check this out. My old post this. But we do want to offer help to people who are exploring this. So the way we do that instead of giving you our specific places is giving you some ideas of maybe how you can approach finding your specific and private places. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Gumby said, we are taking adventures down, you know, one forest road after another. And uh, I've been trying to find a way to get for free um, the topo maps for around the Blue Ridge Parkway area so that maybe we won't have to go down the roads um, all the way that uh, that we're, oh yeah, that we are, um, <laughs> that, that we're going and taking the minivan down. So yeah, we're revisiting some of our favorite spots. Um, it's been a little more, well, a lot more crowded than usual. Um, finding new spots, we nicknamed our one new spot, Whippoorwill Camp, because it was the, I think, the first time in my life that I heard a Whippoorwill in person. I mean, I've heard Peterson Field Guide Whippoorwill. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I've heard one. I grew up with the sound of those Whippoorwill, and uh, I've I've come to real I've come to learn that it's not just my perception, but actually they are in steep decline. And like Gumby also said, um, we've been trying to eat and otherwise incorporate uh, more wild plants into our diet as we're just kind of going through the food that we have, um, eating a lot more green cone flour, um, some violets, some dandelions, sheep sorrel, and stinging nettle, and also using stinging nettle for helping with like muscle pains and cramps. Oh, and that morning we found wild strawberries. Oh, yeah, and uh, and jewelweed. And a lot of these, not all, but a lot of them we have videos on our YouTube channel. Um, we were also uh, really trying to get connected with uh, two of 
the most deadliest plants or two of the deadliest plants in North America, at least. Um, in fact, there is a huge tribe of poison hemlock right across from this very motel. Yeah, and uh, the poison hemlock is a really beautiful, interesting plant that uh, hopefully, if we remember, we're going to go over there and practice our identification, get more familiar with it before we leave here. Um, when we were up on the parkway, one of the plants that we've been eating the most um, is green coneflower. And it's it's one of those plants like stinging nettle that I've had like once before, you know, so I'm aware that it's edible, but I haven't really like incorporated it ever in a regular way into my diet. Oh yeah. And I had had it one time before, although it was years ago on a plant hike and I knew it by the name Sochen, which I think is I think it's Cherokee, but yeah, green coneflower. And I think we have a video on stinging nettle, but green coneflower, uh, hope to do a video soon. But <laughs> we went to this one place and we were picking green coneflower. And um, as I'm picking it, I'm noticing this other plant. And I've been looking at plants for a long time, so it's not like I'm not one of these people that will confuse completely different plants. But I started noticing a common pattern among green coneflower and another plant. Uh, Another plant that I was beginning more and more to suspect might be water hemlock, which is like the deadliest plant in North America. Like the one that will fuck you up. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it in other episodes, uh, that just what it does to your body is horrific. I mean, if death it's, uh, alone is not scary enough, <laughs> what you go through before you die, uh, if you eat this plant, is is horrible. So... Yeah, we, we spent some of that day walking around with all of our field guides, trying to like practice identifying it. And I'm pretty sure that was water hemlock, even though there were a couple little field marks that were absent. It's not in, in bloom, so plants can be kind of hard then. But yeah, hope to, to post some videos of that, because like we've said in other episodes, poison hemlock and water hemlock are two of the biggest plants, if you start eating wild plants, that you do not want to confuse. You probably won't get a second chance if you make that mistake. Yeah, and at that same place on the Blue Ridge Parkway, um, we happened to be there for, was it just one night? There must have been a lot going on. Yeah, it wasn't one night there. There are certain spots that we found are really good for one night and other spots that we can basically be at, I'd say, for up to a week, maybe even longer. But I don't like to push my luck, so I say about a week before I move on. Um, but yeah, the, the Blue Ridge Parkway, we ain't the only people figuring out to beat the heat. And uh, there seems to be a lot more people outside everywhere since the pandemic um just getting out and exercising which you know is good for their lifestyle i applaud these changes they're making where they get to be outside more um but it's hard on us because so many of the places that used to be private for us now are getting full of people and inevitably where people go trouble follows because a high percentage of those people are going to be assholes <laughs> are going to be people who would rather call the cops if they think you're trouble rather than talk to you and find out if you actually are trouble so I always have a little bit of uh, anxiety, you know, when the, the population of any place I go to starts picking up. Yeah, I even saw a, um, I saw, I guess, what I'm guessing was an herbalist. She was, uh, she had like a big paper bag from the grocery store and she was mm -hmm. clipping these white flowers from what we knew were uh, hawthorn trees because we had been there before and we saw the, the thorns on them. And, and if there's one plant you don't want to be walking barefoot in the mountains around, it's hawthorn. It's got two little barbs and these giant spikes. And if you do step on one, the pain is excruciating. And the only thing more painful about the experience is pulling the damn thing out. 
because <laughs> it rips you even more on the way out because of those damn barbs. Yeah. So um, what was, I guess, the most interesting observation about that experience for me was that this herbalist, or I'm assuming she was an herbalist, was talking on the phone to someone as she's collecting the flowers. I kind of felt like it was rude in the same way, like when somebody goes to a bank and they're wearing one of those stupid little Bluetooth uh, earpieces and they're actually interacting with a human being, but they're like acting like they're not there. They're talking to some some electronic person in the ether. It felt like that sort of thing, that same type of rudeness. Ooh, look out the window. There's a, you see that mockingbird? Oh, yeah. He's hunting. Guess. He's doing that wing thing. <laughs> And uh, But that's not to say that there aren't good people out there. I wanted to mention two people in particular that we got to speak with at length. Um, one of them, his name, should I give his name? I think you can give his first name. Yeah. Um, this guy named Spencer in Boone. Um, we dropped down from the Blue Ridge Parkway into Boone for a treat at our one of our favorite places to eat, Coyote Kitchen. Um and Spencer was hanging out, like, the first time we met him, he was in front of the um, food lion. And we were just kind of stopping. I think Gumby was maybe getting a beer or something. But Spencer was, like, asking us if, you know, we needed anything, if we needed money. He's got enough money. And, like, he pulls out, like, this wad of cash that he had gotten from panhandling. And he's like, I've got enough money, and I don't need food. He's like, you know, if you need anything, um... He called himself a hobo, which I was really, like, smiling about. And then we went up – no, we actually went down to uh, the southernmost end of the parkway, and I think we were gone for about a week. And when we came back uh, up the parkway, we, of course, stopped in Boone and um, happened to see Spencer again with a brand-new haircut. Mm-hmm. We had been talking because I just shaved my head, and he was talking about how the cops were giving him hell – they recognized him all the time, and I said, well, you ought to shave your head, and he did. <laughs> and he said the cops, hasn't, they haven't been hassling him, and he is just a really good person. And I was just really happy to meet somebody, and he, I, I really feel like he considers us family, and we've met all of about, what, 30 minutes together? Yeah, one of the things I really like about Spencer is uh, whenever I hear the word hobo, people mean so many different things by that. Um, but I feel like the way Spencer used that, referring to himself, was pretty similar to the way we use it, because he, he's not just out there homeless. Um, he admits he likes to drink. You know, he's not, he keeps saying, you I'm not going to lie to you. I went in to get a beer, <laughs> you know, but he is consciously making a choice, which I think is one of the hallmarks of a true hobo. Um, he says he has no plans to work. He's not looking for work. He's not down on hard times. This is the life he's chosen. He wants to travel. He wants to panhandle. He wants to stay drunk most of the time. And uh, one of the things I find really admirable about Spencer is I'm kind of, even though, like, by most people's standards, I'm homeless myself, when I have somebody that I recognize as homeless come up to me, I'm, I'm bristly at first because I'm so used to somebody looking for an angle to ask me for something. But uh, Spencer seems to be really trying to establish himself as not that kind of person because Teresa keeps offering, you know, like, well, we're about to go to Coyote Kitchen. You want something to eat or whatever? And he consistently turns us down. He offers us money. And he says that what he appreciates about us is just somebody to sit there and talk to him. And when I've been out on the streets doing like my little houses retreats and everything, that's one of the things that I walked away from thinking, too, is it's really nice when somebody gives you money. I mean, of course, that's 
always a good thing. You can use it for a treat for yourself or whatever, and it's some quick, brief human interaction. But what you really find yourself starved for is feeling like you belong, like you're part of a community, like somebody just wants to share some of their time with you. And uh, so I really appreciated Spencer sharing that with us. Like, man, it's just good to have people sit down and just shoot the shit and talk. Yeah, I, I felt that same way, just like really refreshed to to interact with someone and just feel like, yeah, like we were just shooting the shit with a friend, which we were. Um, and then there was this other person actually at one of the overlooks on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We were just going to stop and read the sign. And I don't even know how this happened, but sometimes this life just kind of leads to meandering conversations with strangers who become friends. And, uh, this guy's name was Adam. I remember that he said he was from Pittsburgh cause I had a family member there and he was asking and I was like, I don't know where they lived. I don't know. Um, but he was living, basically living out of his truck and, um, he had a house, but he wasn't quite sure exactly what to do with it just now, whether he was going to rent it out or maybe just, I don't know, walk away from it. But it was like paid off house. And here he is sleeping out under the stars when it's not raining and uh, sleeping in a tent when it is and offer Gumby some beer, which, of course, you know, leads to <laughs> niceties and, and a conversation. And we got to talking about a lot, a number of things. Um I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but after like we said our goodbyes, he like kind of circled around in his truck and he said, "Hey Teresa," and Gumby was walking Sherlock somewhere. No, I was taking a piss. Okay, he was taking a piss in the tree line, but uh, he, this guy Adam called me over and he's like, "Hey, here's twenty bucks. I know it's not a lot, but maybe it'll be like a meal or something." And I mean, wow, he's like. I mean, he's not made of money, and we weren't even looking or asking. We don't ask for money. I mean, maybe on our houseless retreats is, like, the only time we really ask for money. Um, but, wow, just, like, to sit there, hang out, share some beers, and then the guy gives us 20 bucks. Like, my God, there's there are good people out there. Did you want to say anything else about that particular experience or up on the parkway or anything? Not a lot. I mean, Adam is a different kind of traveler and it's cool to meet all these different kinds of travelers. Adam isn't like a hobo. He's got money. He's got like a rental place that he's thinking about or a place that he owns. He's thinking about renting out. He scuba dives all over the world. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. He's just one of those people that's like escaping the heat going up there. He said of all the places he's traveled, kind of like us, that those mountains feel like he always comes back to them. And, uh, yeah, got his banjo and just, you know, collecting stories from people. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he was sitting on the back of his uh, tailgate wa- trying to watch the, the light as the sun set, and he had his banjo out and just telling us all about his adventures, and I just really appreciated that. I thought that was really cool. So we're here again, like I said, at the, a motel, which, by the way, is structured like a hotel, so that was kind of interesting trying to find a room that uh, – Sherlock could easily get out of with his leg problems to go outside and go to the bathroom. And uh, aside from, you know, just being online, catching up with all that stuff, we decided yesterday that we'd just click on something that was a Dave Chappelle uh, show 
not his Chappelle's show, but like a, a Netflix special. And boy, we must have watched like, I don't know, like four or five of his Netflix specials. One of them was called Equanimity and the Bird Revelation. Um, I think that was a two-parter. But he's evidently released like, I don't know, five shows or something on Netflix since 2017. But his latest, uh, we just watched pretty much right before uh, this podcast was recorded. And it's called 846. And it's not on Netflix. Um, It's actually on YouTube. So anybody can type in like 846 or Dave Chappelle 846 and... If you don't know who Dave Chappelle is, he's a a black comedian. Um, He used to have this really funny show called Chappelle Show. Pretty much offends or tries to offend everyone um, with his humor. But also, he has a lot to say. And he's a great storyteller. And especially with these um, new shows on Netflix, he's really like weaving in the history and his personal experiences. And it's not... It's not as funny, but yet it is. I don't know how else to describe it. But this 846, um, it represents the amount of time that the cop had his knee on George Floyd's neck. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Which also, as Dave Chappelle pointed out, was the time he was born. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was... I really enjoyed watching that. It was only a half hour long. Um... But yeah, that's another thing, you know, we're checking in that's like huge in the world is, you know, this thing that got kicked off by George Floyd. And I I hesitate to keep bringing up George Floyd's name because it sounds like it's all about George Floyd, but it's so much bigger. You know, it's about this mounting pressure, this this history um, that's happening. And these are scary times, but I think they're necessary times. I am more um, optimistic and happy about all the riots and things that are happening now than I was when we were just quietly, comfortably murdering the world. Um, When some of these riots started not long ago, I I remarked to Teresa that it seems like the cops are trying to be more careful. I used to run into speed checks and license checks and shit, and it seemed like the cops backed away for a while. But there's a new thing happening now, um, and it seems like the cops are getting more aggressive. You know, ever since George Floyd... Jesus Christ, I can't even keep up with the names, but many people have been killed, um, particularly black people. Um, And there's a lot of people, you know, that are trying to kind of throw their two cents into it, even if they're not going out and actually throwing their bodies into this, like us right now. Right. And um, one of the things I'm, I'm really against is this divisiveness. It's not a black issue. And that doesn't mean, like, it is a black issue, but it's more... I'm looking for that bigger umbrella that unifies us. There's so many people that are, uh, I don't even know how to say it, that we have grievances. That sounds so impotent. But we have a common enemy, common common grievances, and that's what I want to focus on. I'm not going out there, you know, I can, as I've said, um, if we're resisting this tyrannical government and the uh, the oppression of the police... I can go out there shoulder to shoulder with the Black Lives Matter people and, you know, have no problem with that because we're, we're, we're facing down a common enemy. And I don't care what your motivations are. 
to be able to finally start facing down that enemy is much better than having your ideologies, your comfortable ideologies, and doing nothing. So I applaud these people, even though I don't share all of their philosophy. Um, but I'm out there. I'm an all-lives-matter kind of guy, and I know a lot of people tell me that means I'm racist and they try to assign all these beliefs that I don't share, which is bullshit. Um, I just have a different perspective, and it doesn't ex exclude anything. It just means that my focus is a little bit different. And, um, yeah, I'm really – we've been trying to explore, like, what it means to, to consider joining this resistance. As I said to Teresa, you know, like, we had a big conversation, and Teresa was kind of expressing a lot of anxiety about joining a resistance, like – you know, you're coming out with all this crazy shit, like, if we join, like, an activist group, they're going to gang rape us first, and that was before, like, they point the gun at us, and God help us if we're wearing Hawaiian shirts, because, like, there's a group that, like, really takes exception. I was like... No, no, no. Hmm. All right, so let me just break in here. Um, first of all, there was a lot of stuff coming out about, and we were in town, so we were, I was reading up on this, about the, oh, crap. It's the zone in Seattle, Washington. Uh, now it's like the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or the Capitol Hill something else. They changed the name. But anyway, Gumby and I were talking about, like, what are we doing? Like, we're escaping society, but then we're, you know, in the midst of this time that's so volatile. And this, we may never have a, another chance to fight because... <laughs> what's happening now, you best believe there's a play that the government has, the industrial society, that civilization has, that they know how to counter. And when they do, we're, we're going to be knocked down. And chances are they're not going to let this thing happen again. I mean, there are riots all over the fucking country, so you can bet somebody's coming up with a plan to try to stop this from happening again. So it occurred to me, what if this is the last best shot? What if they put security measures in place that we have not been under before that make it even harder? You know, like how long are we all that talk about a resistance and standing up going to wait for the perfect revolution? I don't think there's going to be a perfect revolution. I think we need to notice when people are fighting for whatever reason and support that. Really support it. Not just send out one of those Facebook memes that we're all so famous for, but actually put our bodies out there. Right. So when we were talking, I thought Gumby was talking about, like, driving across the country to Seattle to, like, you know, join in this protest where they have or they had taken over this um, police precinct on the east side of Seattle or something like that. And... We don't know. There were a lot of questions. And like Gumby said that day, I mean, there's always going to be questions. Are you waiting for the perfect protest to join? But I started reading a, a lot of different things. I mean, there's BLM, which, <laughs> by the way, I was starting to read, like, what? Bureau of Land Management? Yeah, who pissed off the Bureau of Land Management? I mean, they are pissy, but I didn't realize there were protests. But it's Black Lives Matter, okay? <laughs> Uh, we don't watch the news a lot. I think we might be the only people who didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And there's also the Antifa or Antifa group, the anti-fascist group, which we've had a very brief brush with when we went to the Silent Sam protest. And uh, my brother sort of kind of has some information that 
he's read up on them or something. Um, but there's also this group called the Boogaloo group that evidently wears Hawaiian shirts and vests, like, uh, what are those things called? Bulletproof vests over their Hawaiian shirts. And that's how they tell each other when they're at a protest. And they're supposedly like a white supremacist group that's for, um, for having guns. And I'm just like, my head is swimming with all this stuff. Uh, I come from a family where at least one of my parents is a big time conspiracy theorist. And so I feel like that has really (laughs) colored my reality into thinking like, uh, what the hell am I actually getting into? Not to mention, it's not all conspiracy theory. I mean, we have on record that the CIA does shit that is crazy. Um, and there's also indications that our government allows certain, what am I trying to say? Like pressure releases, like Facebook, for example, you really think and voting and voting. Exactly. And like the department of justice was helping fund some protest, um, for Trayvon Martin or something like that down in, uh, where was that? Florida? I think this was years ago. I mean, there's a lot of crazy shit and I don't know what's going on. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't have that inner circle, uh, of people that are plugged in. I'm not on Instagram. I am on Twitter because I had a a small business, but I don't check that stuff and I don't tweet or anything like that. So I'm, I guess I'm just really out of the loop. And that's all to say that after we had our conversation that day, um, we kind of left it, well, we finished it with like, what can we do? Like, what are we doing now? What's the next step? Um, and you know, doing this podcast, we don't know about a lot of things. And so I felt that it was, uh, important to share with our listeners out there that, I mean, I don't know the first thing about like how to find out where protests are, who's organizing this and where it's going to be and when. We happened to go to one protest just because we heard it on the news um, back when we were still in Durham, and it wasn't too far away. So we went as basically observers of it. So Gumby, um, the first chance that we got, he kind of got online and was asking, you know, how do people, how does one find a protest ahead of time? So that you're not just watching it and going, damn, wish I could have gone to that. And uh, he received a lot of different responses. Well, I just want to throw in really quick that uh, one of the reasons I haven't done more protests is they've always turned me off. I don't like the way it looks to see all these people with cardboard signs chanting. You know, it just it seems impotent to me. They don't feel like my people. But I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm thinking, like, at least they're fucking doing something. And do if I have a better idea of what to do, why am I not doing it? So maybe it's better to throw my lot in with people doing something and try to go from there. Maybe then I'll have this better idea because I think so many of us find reasons not to join any kind of resistance. We dismiss it as stupid. We think we have a better idea, but then years go by and that idea goes nowhere. And I know that was something I got trapped in, so I'm trying to relook at that. So I'm going to share a few of the comments that Gumby got when he asked that question on what was was it just on like some sort of anarchist Facebook page? 
It was on my personal uh, news feed and also as many different anti-civilization and anarchist Facebook pages as I could share it with to get as much information as possible. And uh, anytime you ask anarchists for help, you get these <laughs> these smug little sarcastic assholes who like – I mean they just – they don't help any kind of resistance. They're just trying to like – be cool and impress people with their wit or I don't know what the fuck they're getting off on. It's, it's pathetic. But I was surprised at how many people stepped up and gave really helpful information because I have pretty low expectations, like I said, when I ask anarchists for any kind of help. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, I think one of the first comments you got was from the anarchist page and it said, you've got to know motherfuckers that know motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, and I asked him, well, you do, do you know any motherfuckers? <laughs> and you never got a response back. Not a good one. So what were some of the more helpful things that were mentioned? Um, this one stood out because I feel like a lot of people, even if they're not actively on Facebook, they might still have an account. So right now, um, and, you know, again, we're from the United States, but if you type in um, BLM, which stands for Black Lives Matter, um, as well as the city that you're in, you may find some events. So Facebook events, check that out, um, searching for Black, Live Ma- Black Lives Matter. Um, on Twitter, like I said, I have a Twitter account. I don't tweet. I just kind of had it years ago. Um, you can evidently look for tweets by location. And this particular person suggested looking for people that look like radicals, weirdos, crunchies, um, seeing if any of them are going to events. And once you do go to an event, definitely ask around and see who actually organized the event so that you can look up further information. Uh, Go to Twitter, again, Twitter, search your city. So put in your city, protests, and then sort by latest. So I guess like the most recent ones. Or Instagram, um, search protest hashtags. Again, I don't know about these technology things much, but... Those were some that stood out uh, to me that were that seemed doable. Uh, there's also, of course, the human interaction. So maybe checking out uh, radical bookstores, some bookstores in your area, and <laughs> there aren't many left. Um, maybe certain types of coffee shops uh, that maybe you know you can interact with people who are artists, musicians, um, because those are often people that are. Uh, often organizing events or at least know about who's organizing them and and not being afraid to be the first one out there because if you don't go there might not be anyone that goes Greta Thunberg all right um Gumby also got a lot of people saying you know like are you a cop and worrying about like cops finding out where the events are and I like how some people responded back they're going to show up anyway. This is the age of surveillance. Yeah, it wasn't just some people. It was one person in particular from France. And uh, they were like, you know, you Americans, you, you always act so paranoid. The cops are going to find out. Like, they're already going to find out. And you guys always give us so much credit for our protests and everything. But you never fucking actually listen and learn about the way we do it. <laughs> so this person's just kind of like dressing all these American anarchists down. Like, you guys are just like fucking acting like little children like go ahead organize like get other people involved help yeah that same person um from france was saying they have websites and event calendars for protests they're not trying to hide where the protests are somebody from new york i'm i'm assuming new york city but they were saying that they had um 
you know, events posted everywhere, maybe like on whatever, telephone poles and, you know, plastered on building sides and everything. But like I said, there's also, you know, interacting with actual human beings. So maybe um, going to, of course, this is the the time of the pandemic, but going to things that are kind of do-it-yourself events and looking for people, um, this person specifically suggested young people uh, who might be organizing because that type of thing, the do-it-yourselfers um, are also, you know, more apt to be organizing. And let's see if there was anything else I was thinking, blah, blah, blah. Oh, every day in Chaz, that's the the thing in Seattle. Every Every day there should be fun. But yeah, lots of smug answers, but also um, helpful, helpful ones. So check out uh, some of those suggestions, and and we're going to do that as well. Gumby? Um, well, I guess uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is more about our kind of Blue Ridge Parkway. I'm calling it the Blue Ridge Parkway Journal for this podcast, but this exploration There are three towns, three places off the Blue Ridge Parkway that we found that we uh, really like. And I kind of want to, you know, I don't want to give away our our private little places at the end of dirt roads and stuff. But these towns, I mean, if I can bring more people to want to go visit them and, you know, to help support some of our favorite places, I think it's good for them. And it costs us nothing to share. So... The Blue Ridge Parkway, we just started, decided to start in the south and work our way north, and it starts on the Cherokee Reservation. And uh, the Cherokee Reservation is a really um, interesting place. Um, I always feel weird as a white person driving onto a reservation, um, not knowing anybody there, not being invited, because I, I kind of feel like well, look at me. Here's my white ass, my entitled white ass, just driving up like I own the place again, you know? And I, I feel kind of like either people are looking at me like that, or if they're not, maybe they should be. So I kind of feel a little bit funny. Um, but at the same time, um, like in the on the Cherokee Reservation, they also, the community thrives quite a bit on tourism. You know, there's a lot of things trying to like get people to come out there and spend money. And obviously us being hobos, we're not spending a lot of money, so we're not very helpful in that way. But our favorite place in Cherokee is this place called Kuala Java, Q-U-A-L-L-A, Java. And it is a coffee shop, and it has got just like the best coffee we've ever had. They've got one in particular that they call First Fire, um, and it's a spicy coffee, and man, it's so good. Um, another thing that I really liked about the Cherokee Reservation, and this is right at the southern tip at the beginning of the, uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway, is this river. And I can't remember the name of it. It's got a Cherokee name, but did you remember the name? I want to say, oh my gosh, I want to say it was Junyaluska, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, but they, uh, actually had a little sign there describing the, the Cherokee's way of, uh, seeing the river and what they called it in their language was the long man whose head was up in the mountains and whose feet reached all the way to the sea. And that stuck with me. I really loved the signs because so often you see these very white centered signs of cold scientific facts or just kind of these corny little like, Oh, we should appreciate the trees. But each of these signs by the Cherokee reservation had stories and it was so cool. They had one about the trees and, uh, 
But that river there, it was a beautiful place. The Oconalufti River. Ah, that name sounds pretty. Oconalufti. Mm-hmm. The Long Man. And um, the other thing that stood out in my mind, the last thing I want to say about Cherokee was the elk. Apparently, they released some elk nearby. The Great Smoky Mountain National Park. In the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And the elk migrated themselves onto the Cherokee Reservation. And, um, you know, we were reading about some comments that people said about it. And people are like, we leave them alone and they leave us alone. You know, we're kind of glad to have them. They don't bother us. And we saw probably a total of seven elk at different times, like close up. And that was so exciting because we traveled around the country. And, you know, one of our favorite things about going out west last summer was the bugling of the elk, which we didn't get to hear. But we never got to see one. And this summer we got to see elk. Like just we woke up one morning, for instance, and there were like four elk just grazing outside of the van where we were parked. And that felt like such a gift. And it crossed my mind. Like the elk are also native to North Carolina. I wonder... If like something in their in their blood in their being remembers the relationship that they've shared with these Cherokee people for so long, you know they they've been part of the circle of life, this hunting um, relationship, and I wonder if they were just kind of instinctively attracted to these people that they're familiar with, you know, obviously not individually, but that bigger picture. But anyway, that was just kind of a thought stirring in my head, and. Another town that we like that, of course, everybody's heard of is Asheville. Um, It's a little too big for us. I'd say out of the three I wanted to mention, it's probably my least favorite maybe. But Asheville's a really cool place if you want to get involved in stuff. And our favorite place to eat there is a little place called Black Bear Barbecue. It's a little hit and miss. Um, When it's good, it's really good. And when it's not so good, it's it's good. (laughs) And uh, we stopped by there to take a dip in the Swannanoa River. We call it the Golden River because there's little flecks of probably mica or something like that, and it's just covered with gold. And when we wash our clothes in the river, they sparkle with gold. I mean, it's a magical place. And we had this favorite tweener spot that we'd go to that we could get naked. Nobody would notice us. Like, if we walked in any direction, people would see us, but that one spot worked. And there was a big grassy hill, and this summer we get there, and they've mowed all the grass down. Like, I mean... Like, uprooted it, basically. It's a big, burning, sandy plain, and there's people all over. They denuded it. Yeah. So, I think it's still a special place, and we really enjoyed it, but now, you know, we gotta wear swim clothes when we go in there. So, that was a little sad. And finally, Boone. As Teresa already mentioned, I'm not gonna say too much about Coyote Kitchen, because she already mentioned it, but, uh... Um, Some other things we love about Boone is, I believe it's the town with the highest elevation in North Carolina, at least on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, So that was kind of the first place we wound up when we were traveling last summer looking for a place to be. So I've got a special place in my heart for Boone. Um, And they got this wonderful greenway that we found little tweener spots to take dips in, and it kind of winds around town. We found, like, where the apple tree is at a certain time of year that's got delicious apples, Um, some dumpsters that sometimes have stuff worth checking out. It's just a really cool greenway. That's one of my favorite parts about Boone. And the little free libraries, we found two of them so far. And when we get done with a book, you know, we put our books and DVDs in one of the little free libraries and see if there's anything Pretty rare, but every every now and then we find something in there we want to read. A lot of crappy books. I think we put the best books in there. Oh, yeah, um, and DVDs. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a really good food pantry there. There's a food pantry that, like, some food pantries are, eh, you know, you can go there, like, once a month, if that, and then they're kind of 
not as friendly. This food pantry is super accommodating in Boone um, on Bamboo Road. And they give you, like, a hot meal. You know, they give you a box of food to take. And then there's another room where you can go through all the produce and everything and pick out your own stuff. Um, So that's one of my favorite food pantries that I go to anywhere. So, yeah, quick shout-out to those three towns in North Carolina on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Those are our three favorites. Um, I guess I'll hand this back to you, Teresa. All right, well... I'm not 100% sure where we're going next, but I'll say I just wanted to um, revisit maybe maybe two things here if I can get my thoughts collected. One of them, uh, I opened up the episode saying like the occupied lands of, and I highly, I highly encourage you to uh, check out a search of endangered species wherever you are and just, I don't know, just to hear about these beings that I know nothing of their life. One in particular um, was this Lee County cave isopod. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's a troglobite, not a troglodyte, um, which means it has no functioning eyes or pigmentation, and it basically lives in the cave all the time. Uh, and these are specific type of caves in Lee County, Virginia, which isn't too far from us. Um, the name, I guess the Latin, part Latin name, is something like Lursius Usdagalun, but that second word isn't Latin. It's a Cherokee word for cave or hole under rock. And I found that to be really interesting, like a nod to some of the people uh, who occupied this land. This particular species was put on the endangered species list in 1992 after another similar species was extirpated. Am I saying that right? I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what the hell that word meant. I mean, it kind of sounds like the word exterminated, so I looked it up. Extirpate. To root out or destroy completely. <laughs> Dramatic pause. I'm tearing up. How can we live with ourselves and think that we are destroying an entire species every day? Every day. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I let that in, and, like, that's one of the hard parts about exploring this stuff is it's overwhelming you find what you do is just kind of shut it out you turn it into an abstract so you can talk about it i get frustrated often when i'm hearing like a podcast and and talk shows that people that are in the resistance because they talk so fucking calmly and i want to hear somebody like fucking get mad you know talk about that son of a bitch and like we need to go fuck these motherfuckers up but i get why they don't talk like that well a few reasons and one of them is you get burned out man the emotion, like wrapping your mind, like think about the way you might feel about George Floyd and the injustice done to him. Now think about an entire fucking species. If you can really let that in for a moment, really let that in, and it takes some effort because it feels so distant and abstract. One of the ways I let it in is I think at some point there was the last of its kind. There was the last one. 
a lonely one. No, no hope for children anymore, no mate, no friend, nothing of its kind, the last one. And that helps me bring it home and kind of wrap my mind around it a little bit. Yeah, there was another um, species that I looked up. You know, there's a, a huge list, unfortunately, um, even just for southwestern Virginia. This one um, I just want to give a nod to is the Peters Mountain Mallow. And just briefly reading about it, it only exists on this Peters Mountain in Giles City, Virginia. It's dependent on wildfire, and I think at last count there were like six or seven left. And they're all inbred because there there is no other ones to help propagate it. It's just all of the same one. Um, so it's very, very precariously perched on this endangered list about to be gone. And, uh, God, yeah, just wrapping your mind around everything that's going on in the world and just knowing that every time we, you know, are divisive, every time that we're, you know, concerned about these petty little things that our ego has to conquer, there goes another species, an entire species we really probably didn't know anything about and how we might feel if we weren't the dominating species on the planet and just the humans just kind of went out. Bloop. So that was my one thing. God, I got all emotional. Jesus Christ. Um, something else that I wanted to say, we didn't actually, um, we didn't watch this super recently, but Gumby had this movie called Whale Rider. And I highly recommend that. Um, I'm sure you want to maybe talk about that too, but Damn, what a nice movie. He kept saying, like, no, it's it's got to be, like, the right time to watch it. And I'm like, what, is it bad? And he just kind of kept me in suspense until one evening we were up on the parkway, and we had just spent a lot of the day in this really soft forest. Like, the ground was soft, the grass was so soft, and everything just seemed really welcoming and and. We sat there and watched Whale Rider and Gumby. What do you do? You want to say anything about that? Well, time is short, so I kind of don't want to get into it because I feel like I could, like, if I really want to start digging into it, that could be a whole episode. But I just agree with Teresa that it's, uh, you know, watch that if you haven't seen it. I think it's a really good movie. Um, and in contrast, <laughs> um, you know, we've got all these movies that like we're sitting out by a. All right, I'm going to share this with you, even though I hope that by sharing it with people, I'm not going to fuck it up and, like, ruin it for us. But uh, thrift stores, because of this pandemic and things being closed, they're kind of just like everybody else in a little bit of a uh, precarious place with things that worked and routines. They're not quite fitting as well anymore. So people are dropping off masses of shit outside of the door of these thrift stores that are more often than before closed. Now, you can pull up and... As long as you time it right, who's going to know if you weren't the one that dropped that off? So you can feel free to go through it. And if somebody stops and questions, you just say, yeah, I just dropped the stuff off. And like, man, I lost my fucking phone. So I'm hoping it's in one of these things. Or maybe my wife brought this up here and like she's getting rid of some stuff I didn't want to get rid of. There was a misunderstanding. So anyway. <laughs> We have found some really cool stuff sitting out there, um, among them like about 20 DVDs, and Whale Rider was one of them. Um, 
But another one was A Walk in the Clouds with oh, Keanu God. Reeves. You're going to spend time on that? Just to say, oh my God, it might be the worst movie I've ever watched. <laughs> if you want to see something so bad, it's fucking hilarious. From the writing, to the acting, to everything. Get really high, bring out your best bong, I mean get blistered, and watch A Walk in the Clouds. With oh Keanu my God, Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Need I say more? Whoa. That was, like, really deep. Complicated. It's complicated. It's not easy. <laughs> but that's all I have to say about that. Well, go ahead and um, say some of the things on your list, because I'm mostly done. Okay. Well, we got about five minutes left, so um, I know one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, th- new things we're learning. And I'm learning a lot about antibacterial plants without really trying. It's just kind of like... I love it when you have a need and you start exploring ways to address that need and organically you start learning, not just because you pick something out of thin air and it's like, I want to learn about that. So I've been getting like more BO lately. When I first started washing in creeks, like when we back first season one, uh, clean, green, seldom seen hygiene, I talked about how I washed my armpits and rivers and like didn't really have much of a BO. For whatever reason, that has changed. I don't know if it's something I'm eating or if just the bacteria had to like build up. And also... Um shirts that have armpit like the cloth is really touching your armpits could also affect how you smell and how much you sweat because there's just fabric right up against your skin stifling the airflow yeah so it's uh i've been trying to like it, it occurred to me that there are antibacterial plants and that that might address that and i've tried three this summer so i'll start with my least favorite or uh yeah my least favorite which was yarrow And uh, yarrow, it didn't really, like, it helped the smell of my armpits, like, immediately, but it went away pretty quick. Yarrow is also really good for hand washing. It's antibacterial, so if I find a lot of yarrow, you know, being a good caretaker, asking and thanking, um, I'll take those leaves and wipe them on my hands, and they kill bacteria and smell good. The one that worked um, a little bit better was motherwort. I don't see as much of that on the Blue Ridge Parkway, but we did find a big patch of that. put that in my armpits, and that... uh, that addressed the smell. And my favorite, and this is a plant I was already in love with, was jewelweed. I hadn't tried it as a deodorant substitute. Works great. Um, so as soon as I get done bathing, if I can grab some jewelweed, and it's often growing right there. It loves the water. So it's usually growing right there beside some wet place. I, I wipe it all over my skin, especially my armpits, and it's good for anything wrong with your skin. So it makes my, all my, my skin all over feel soft and refreshed. Um, so yeah, once again, I've already talked about it, but another nod, jewelweed, like that is a plant worth learning about. Um, we're talking about other ways to kind of like get a little more wild. You know, we're always looking for ways to kind of push further out there. We have done no fishing (laughs) and there's so many, uh, streams and rivers up there by the mountains. So we've got, I've got a little fishing kit that I've scavenged, you know, just walking around areas where people fish, picking up fishing cooks and this and that. Um, so I think that's something that before the summer's out, we want to start exploring more because if we can start mixing these wild plants that Teresa talked about, we're eating with fish, man, we're really on to a, a pretty damn good diet. And to kind of finish off my little, uh, thing I wanted to share about the plants for this summer, our experience with them so far checking in is plant medicine. We haven't really used a whole lot of plant medicine, but we have used snakeberry, which, uh, at least the last time I checked, was our most popular watched YouTube video, which I still find kind of puzzling, but people apparently want to know about snakeberry, also known as 
Indian berry or false strawberry. I like snakeberry better because like false strawberry, it sounds like it's not good enough to be a real strawberry, but it's great for what it is. It is a snakeberry. And if you put it on a burn, it is the most cooling plant that I've ever encountered. I mean, immediately it's, it's juicy and cooling and soothes the burn. And we've also been using a red cedar smudge that Teresa made before we headed up, uh, headed up here. Um, mostly when Sherlock or Teresa farts oh, to kind of... come on, Mr. Yoga Poses. To clean the air. Fart Kama Sutra, man. But uh, <laughs> that was mean. Yeah. But <laughs> it is definitely a good thing to have around. And red cedar is also antibacterial. So, uh, Teresa, do you want me to just keep... Because uh, we're about to the end of our thing. Is there any final thing that you want to say or um well of course i'm going to do the end but maybe just like pick the well you have it in order well yeah yeah we talked about trash uh traffic and the the douchebags on the blue ridge parkway and there are a lot of like people with their fancy loud fucking cars going way too fast on the blue ridge parkway it's like the american audubon yeah there's like there'll be a parking lot with a beautiful pristine looking place in the mountains and this asshole with his mercedes has to fucking park in the grass because he can't walk that little bit of distance to sit where he wants to i mean yeah just people and uh you got the weirdos and the dangerous people (laughs) we had this one place that we pulled off it was a rainy day and we just figured we'd like pull the van off on uh overlook and watch movies and this guy kept coming up the road turning around at the overlook and like parking right in front of us He had, like, skulls on his truck and, you know, just all kinds of weird shit, bright red truck. And then you pull away. But then he'd come right back and then pull right behind us and then pull away. And at one point, I'm like, I got to get on the offensive here. I'm feeling defensive, like waiting for this guy to see what the hell he's going to do. I wonder if I can turn the tables a little bit. Like, let me get out of the van, walk Sherlock, and then, like, walk past him. And he ducked his seat down. Like, he had a tinted kind of back window in his pickup truck. Like, he didn't want to be seen, and he just sat there with the engine running. Finally, after, like, hours of this, this is when we were watching that awesome fucking movie, A Walk in the Clouds. (laughs) He finally pulls over, and this kind of older guy gets out with camouflage pants and everything. Oh, yeah, he's got, like, pro-gun shit and everything on the back of his truck. He gets out, and he walks in this tiny little trail that's across the road. I mean, it's that we had already noticed. Yeah. Yeah. We noticed it, but it's like, to me, obviously not a trail that's anybody's trying to encourage other people to find and walk. So then it occurred to me, wow, I wonder if this guy has some shit going on out there, like growing some drugs or something. And he's been trying to wait us out. And finally he's like, fuck it. (laughs) You know, I've got to go. Maybe he's got some deal. Somebody's waiting for him. And, uh, that's when I finally left. You know, I didn't want to leave, like, be on the defensive because, I don't know, you got to really think about what happens when you do run into that rare weirdo or predator. And to me, what I know about predators in the animal world, don't run. Don't run. That triggers more of a predatorial instinct. And I think that's partly true in people, too. So, um... When I realized he might be conducting business and that we might not want to see what he brings out of the woods, that's when it finally seems strategically like the right move to leave. But, yeah, there's some that occasional weird thing. That's the only guy I can think of, like, right now. I mean, we've got other stories from the past, but weirdos and potentially dangerous people. And, uh, yeah, we're talking about what to do after we get done with the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we're, 
you know, thinking about maybe Flagstaff, Arizona again, which is one of our other favorite place to be in the summer, or I don't know. It's an open-ended question. Um, and that takes us to the end of our podcast. So, <laughs> Teresa, anything you want to say and take us out? Sure. Well, I'll uh, I'll finish up that one on your list just by asking our listeners. Um, you know, we are escaping society, and uh, even with the things that are going on with our our pup here, Sherlock, um, we may be you know encountering some additional expenses because like we're feeding him rice right now, which we happen to have, but uh, he may need to have a little bit of a different diet than we can provide him just by hoping that it's in the dumpsters. Um, So if anyone out there has any ideas or knows anybody um, that might have work or like a website maybe for like uh, legitimate gig work, um, not giggity work, uh, um, please let us know via our contact form on the website. Uh, website is escaping society, all one word, dot weebly dot com. Um, and there you will also find links to our YouTube channel. And, uh, we also have a Facebook page escaping society. Uh, our listener write in is from a guy. I feel like he's been listening to our podcast, probably like the first person to listen to our podcast, uh, Tim. And Tim wrote to us a little bit ago after our episode uh, called The Upside Down. And he said, kind of an upside down is how there is truth allowed in comedy. But God forbid mainstream media ever give us any truth. George Carlin was especially gifted in that. His bit on voting really hit home. And I picked this because uh, earlier in the podcast here, we were talking about Dave Chappelle. And I'm not like saying that Dave Chappelle is the, you know, next incarnation of George Carlin, but wow, you should really watch some of Dave Chappelle. If you have access to Netflix, I have quote unquote free Netflix because of my brother's account. Um, but you know, even typing in YouTube, uh, that 846, um, Dave Chappelle, his latest, it was just released like, I don't know, like a week ago. Check him out because he's really got a lot to say. And and like I said, it's not straight up comedy and it can be offensive, but I also encourage people to be offended and look at that. Yeah, and I really appreciate that point Tim made. Um, I don't know if I would have labeled it quite as an upside down truth. It's it's definitely ironic. There's... <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's kind of upside down now, more than thinking about it. But the media, who's supposed to give us information, you can't trust. It's amazing how they slant stories, skip stories, exclude stories. Uh, Order I mean, them, organize them. Yeah, organize them. It's all so manipulative. But, you know, as we're watching Dave Chappelle, and I've watched a lot of George Carlin, I actually, uh, actually um, dedicated one of our Fire Truck You or Fire Truck Me, I can't remember which one, podcast towards him, because... He's great at this kind of observation, but he can get away with saying shit that they would never allow said anywhere, and it can have such a deep, profound truth that you can get, in some ways, more news from a comedian than you can from a journalist. Amen! And that's kind of fucked up. Um, It reminds me of Rod Serling. Um, I was reading about, or actually watched a documentary on him and how The Twilight Zone got to be made, and he wanted to talk about really deep issues like racism and violence and war but 
in that climate, you know, in that era, like the the Red Scare era and all this shit, um, he couldn't get away with saying this stuff. But then he realized the power of science fiction. You can talk about anything as long as it's uh, purple people on another planet, <laughs> um, weird people in another dimension. If you put it in a science fiction story, you can talk about anything. And I feel like that's similar to comedy. Like, they're comedians, so they can say anything. It's supposed to be comedy, but there's a lot of truth in that. So, yeah, right on, Tim. I like that observation. Yeah, and if you have any comments, questions, ideas, suggestions, um, criticisms, please write to us, like I said, escapingsociety.weebly.com. And we thank you for listening. Thanks. Because we'll be gone over that next horizon. We ain't got no 